0: Good morning again, everybody. Uh, we are in the thick of a series titled Creed, which is an eight, nine week study of a very important confession of faith in Christian history called the Apostles' Creed. And that video actually answered the question, really, where did the apostles come from? Like, what was the origin of the creed? Which is a question that I know some folks have had, and I thought that this video did a, a really good job kind of capturing some of the main points, especially uh, that uh, bringing out the, the idea of the old Roman creed that we have uh, just shortly after Jesus dies, this, this confession of faith that really is is the backbone, really the core of the apostles' creed that we say today, and that there were a lot of of creedal confessions that were happening very early on in Christian history as a way for people to, to say what they believed. And, uh, and I think another really important question Uh, that that I try to answer every week is, why are we studying the creed? Why are we spending eight or nine weeks studying um, the creed? And I I just want to be very clear about this. We're not preaching the Apostles' Creed every week. We are are opening the Bible and preaching from the Bible to understand it. But the, the creed is something that the church has found extremely helpful in trying to put together the story of Jesus and say, what are those parts of it that are most important, most essential to Christian faith? Make up the core of the story of redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. And so studying the Creed gives us this like narrative arc in understanding the redemptive work that God did through Jesus. through, through Jesus. And so one of the things uh, related to that that I actually challenged you all to do in week one is, is memorize the Apostles' Creed. I gave you the Apostles' Creed challenge and there are 108 words in the Apostles' Creed. I challenge you to sit down and over the course of the next few weeks, Learn every single one of those words so that you could do this by heart with your eyes closed and um, faster than your kids because uh, they learn really fast. And, uh, and I know that some of you guys have uh, did that and actually got it really quick. I know some of you guys are still working on it, which is awesome. And some of you need to know that it's still not too late, right? That you still got the ability to do this. I'd really encourage you to do it. I think you're going to benefit greatly from it. We handed out some resources to help you do that. There uh, was a bookmark. I don't know how many are still left, but in the back of chairs, there's still some in the back and in some of the slap boards outside. encourage you to get one. Take it, read it every day, and then close your eyes and see how far you can, you can get with it. If you've got kids at home, do this night, at, at night as part of the, the prayer time that you have together. Um, and you'll be surprised how fast your kids can do it. And then what I asked everybody to do is on the last week of school, May 20th, is to go on, um, to get onto social media and let's just blitz it with the creed under this heading, we creed hard, right? This is how we join our voices with the church for for almost 2,000 years that have said these words about what we believe. We believe this in our hearts. We confess it with our tongues, as the scripture says, and we are happy to add our own little 21st century spin and creed hard with the church for for the last 2,000 years. Okay, today we're going to study um, one of the lines in the creed. Uh, and try to understand what it means when it says Jesus ascended into heaven. Jesus ascended into heaven. I believe that Jesus ascended into heaven. And we're going we're gonna to study Jesus' ascent by looking at one of the two places it is in the Bible in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. If you brought your Bible, that's awesome. If you didn't, and there's a, a chair in front of you, you can reach under that chair and grab it. I encourage you to do that and follow along. You can find it on page 882. If you've got a phone, that's great too. Um, and while you guys go ahead and get there, Let's all go ahead and bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, um, we are here this morning uh, on on the day that you told us to set apart, to worship, to come before you, to open our hearts and our minds, to learn, to remember who it is that is Lord of, of the universe, who is king of our lives, and, and God, we just thank you for this chance to come and open up your word and try to understand it, Lord. I just pray that as we try to understand what it means and what's the significance of your ascent that um, that, that, that we would get something here that some, something would attach to our hearts and our minds and and your Holy Spirit would be at work to help us just understand who you are a little deeper to know what that means for us a little more so that we, we would have a, a stronger relationship with you, that we would obey you more, that we would love you more, that we would seek your heart more. And I just pray that somehow uh, we, we would do that through studying um, this part of, of the Bible. May the words of my mouth, Lord, and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in our sight. God, you are a rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. All right. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. It is not for you to know the dates or the times the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they asked, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is God's word. All right, we can do that too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, picture the final game of the, wor- of the World Series. And that is uh, an image that will be of... Minute Maid Stadium. That's this year. So what that means is October 31st, Game Seven is happening here in Houston, right? The Astros are going to be in it. Imagine that, okay? So it's Game Seven. That means the series is tied 3-3, right? And let's just rev up the suspense here. It is the bottom of the ninth inning. It is uh, there are two outs. There are three men on first, second, and third. The bases are loaded. Full count, three and two. The opposing team's best pitcher is on the mound, and who is at bat? for the Astros right now? Is it uh, Carlos Correa? Is it Jose Altuve? Is it, I said accidentally, Jerry Springer? Um, (laughs) Last, (laughs) it's not Jerry Springer, it is George Springer. And actually, uh, it is none of those fellows. It's a new guy that we picked up right before the trade deadline. His name is Jesus Jose Cristos. okay? Okay, I know that's lame, hang with me, okay? It's gonna make sense. (laughs) All right, so, so he winds up to bat, right? The pitch comes in, and there he is, and it comes in, and he swings and crack, and what do you think happens? It's out of here. Woo, the Astros win World Series, it's over. Okay, you, you guys get it. I promise that's going to tie in in a few moments, okay? All right, the baseball analogy is coming to make sense <laughs> later. Those are some, uh, so, so we read a passage about the ascension of Jesus, uh, of Jesus in the book of Acts, And um, that event that we read, where Jesus goes up into heaven, is one of the things included in the Apostles' Creed. And what that means is that the early church considered that specific event to be highly significant, that it was meaningful, that it mattered, right? They they, they take the economized word space, 108 words of the Apostles' Creed, and it's over 10 of them that are dedicated to this singular event event and so it has to matter. But here's here's the thing about the about about this line of the Apostles Creed. Just like last week when we studied Jesus descended to the dead and most of us uh didn't know what the significance of that, what what it meant, Jesus's ascent into heaven is also kind of in the same boat. Really two things that I I realize happened with it. One, a lot of Christians don't even know that it happened. They've never read this part of the scripture, right? We, we didn't get to this part of Acts. We don't know that there was a time where Jesus ascended into heaven or two. Even if we do know that it happened, we're not really sure what its significance is. We don't know why it mattered because when we read it, it feels like, um, like a postscript, like a footnote, like an add-on. And we're not quite sure if we even want it or not. Like, would you like a side of ascension with your main dish of death and resurrection? And we're like, uh... I guess, right? You know, I, we don't really fully understand why it's important or if we want it at all. But, but um, uh, here's, here's the thing. This is where the baseball analogy ties in and can really help. We focus so much on the first three acts of Jesus's work up until this point in the scripture, right? We, we remember the incarnation. We remember Jesus's death. We remember his resurrection. We have three holidays to celebrate it. We have Christmas. We have Good Friday. We have Easter Sunday. You can go down to, uh, to, to Walgreens, and there are Hallmark cards for all three of those, even Good Friday, which is weird, but it's true. And, um, and, and those are, are really the first three acts, the first three bases, if you will, of what Jesus came to do on the earth. But here's the thing that I want to ask you. In baseball, do the runners on first, second, and third count unless they cross home plate? No. It makes no meaningful difference at all. In fact, they are left batters or runners on base, I forget what you say, and it's actually a negative thing. You don't want to leave runners on base because ultimately, it doesn't make any meaningful difference unless they come around home plate, right? So here's the thing about the ascension, biblically speaking. The ascension is what brings first, second, and third bases home. The the ascension is what brings Jesus' work completely home. Jesus crosses home plate. Jesus, Jose Christos, hits a grand slam in the ascension and finishes the work that he came to do on earth by ascending into heaven. When he ascends, his life, death, and resurrection are all verified, they are confirmed, and then they are applied to the world and the universe for all time, right? And there there is a pastor, theologian, scholar named Tim Keller, who is very helpful with some of the concepts that I'm going to share in, in this message, who said it like this. The ascension is the detonator for everything else Jesus Christ did. The ascension is what takes who Jesus Christ was and did on earth and releases it into the universe and your lives with all of its healing power, and benefits. The ascension matters. It's the detonator, right? It's very interesting to compare Jesus' work to a detonator. I like it. Okay, uh, I want to try to clarify further what I mean by that um, by first talking about the nature of the ascension. What happened in the ascension? What, what, What was the thing that happened when Jesus ascended into heaven? And I think the first thing to recognize is part of it was physical. There's a physical aspect to the ascension, and this is typically what we think about When we talk about ascension, when we say things ascend, we are saying that they move from a lower place to a higher place, right? A balloon ascends into the air and rises up into the sky. When we're on a plane, And it's that nervous moment when the first wheel lifts up and we start going into the air and we feel it, right? That's a physical thing. We're physically ascending and we physically feel it. There's a physical aspect to ascension. And and that's a a part of what is being communicated here in the scripture. Let me read uh, just the end of our passage again. After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him From their sight. They were there looking intently up into the sky. And so the disciples are there with Jesus. They're talking with Jesus. And I don't know exactly how this happens, but I guess he suddenly starts to rise up. He ascends. He's going into the sky. They're at eye level. And then they're just following him up until they are seeing him uh, hidden by a cloud and eventually gone, right? And it's really kind of a wild crazy thing that's right there in the Bible but this is what the scripture says happened and it's not speaking figuratively it's not speaking metaphorically that physical aspect of ascension is very much a part of the story Jesus rises up into the clouds and and so there are some implications to the physical aspect of Jesus's ascension that are meaningful just to to share a few one is that the fact that Jesus rises up alive, he leaves earth alive and rises up alive, it is trying to tell us that Jesus is still alive right here and right now. Uh, Jeff did a great job with the kids in, in saying, how long is forever? He, that's how long Jesus is with God, alive. And, and, and the point of that is for us to know, we don't tend to think about this, but You know, did Jesus rise up to to then take on a new form of life later? No. Like the idea is that Jesus rose up and exists in heaven fully alive now as he was before. What happened on Easter Sunday was therefore confirmed and verified and continued as Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father right now. And it tells us we don't need to fear death now and we don't need to fear death ever because Jesus is absolutely still alive right here and right now. Another implication is that uh, Jesus uh, still rises up in his human, physical, resurrected body. Uh, His body is part of him being alive. He exists right now in a physical body. In in the scripture, it doesn't tell us that he suddenly um, becomes invisible or he turns into some sort of ephemeral vapor that he changes. He exists, he continues to exist fully man fully God as he always have next to God the Father. And what that does is it actually honors the human body. It says the resurrected body is part of God's plan for us uh, eternally in heaven. And, um, and actually, that's part of the creed, and we're going to get to it in, in a few weeks. The resurrection of the body is one of the things that we say we believe in, in the creed. Okay, so those are some of the implications of, of Jesus' physical ascension. But really, if we focus too much on the physical aspects, we're going to miss uh, some of the deeper meanings that are part of the ascension that are really important. I don't know if, um, if some of you all remember this, I wasn't born yet. It happened in 1961, and I guess I just called you old. I'm sorry about that. But uh, (laughs) there was a guy named Yuri Gagarin, who was the first man into space. Does anybody remember when this happened, 1961? Yeah, and this was a a Russian fellow. The Russians beat the Americans into space, and he went up and came down, and uh, the Russian media propaganda machine kind of said, gave us a quote from Yuri, and he said this. I went up to space, but I didn't encounter God. I went up to space, but I didn't encounter God. And I think what was really happening there is that uh, kind of the Russian media was taking a pot shot at, um, at the Americans, right? So, we beat you into space, and by the way, Americans, there's no God up there. You're wrong about that too, right? And this is kind of what was going on. And it's interesting, actually, if you, if you bear down on that a little bit, it's probably not true, because Yuri Gagarin uh, was probably a committed Christian who believed in God, and two, it, it really betrayed the fact that uh, the Russian media uh, didn't understand the nuance of Christian belief, because... Uh, uh, Christians don't believe that God or Jesus is like up there in the universe somewhere, right? That, that's not what we believe at all. We believe that uh, Jesus is in heaven. And let me, let me kind of distinguish that from you. Uh, what, what they were talking about was heavens, lowercase h, Plural, right? And we see this in the Bible. When the Bible talks about this heavens, it's talking about the sky, the universe. This is, I think, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Heaven is is in parallel there with skies. It's the same idea repeated twice, right? So oftentimes in the Bible, when you read about the heavens, you're reading about what people would think of when they'd look up at the sky. Sometimes we talk about the sky and the universe in this way today. But when the Bible is talking about where Jesus went, it uses a different word, heaven, Uh, sometimes capital, singular. And that's the one that's used in our scripture in Acts, where it says, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back, right? And that's not just some sort of other spatial location, another hidden geographical place in this universe, uh, what Christians believe, what is said in the creed, what's stated in the Bible is that there's this heaven and it's not just another place. It's really a different realm. It's an entirely different like place uh, where God is and we don't really fully understand it. We only have hints of it from the scripture, but uh, it's definitely more of a spiritual place. It's where God rules and reigns and God's rule and reign are at work and happening and um, And there's a physicality to it, right? Because Jesus is alive with a body there, but there's also things that are different because God doesn't live within the limits of the space-time continuum. And this is where uh, really we get into some of the why of the ascension. Uh, If Jesus was going to stay on earth, right, what would have happened is that he would have stayed constrained within all the limits that he had, just like you and I have, when he was on earth, right? And think about some of the limitations that we have. We exist in a body, one body for our whole lives, right? Um, We exist in one uh, space. We are in this room now. We cannot be in another place at the same time some of you sci-fi geeks are thinking, not yet, okay? But uh, <laughs> we, we live in one time, right? We only exist at this present moment and, and exist in a specific time from our birth to our death. Again, you space nerds are like, not yet. But, but those are the limitations that, that we have, that we understand. And, and Jesus, when you think about what he came and did, he experienced all those limitations. He lived uh, in one specific body right? All his life. He um, lived in one specific time, almost 2,000 years ago, right? He uh, lived in one specific place. He related to some specific people with the limitations of his specific body. And part of what actually theologians believe happened at the ascent is, is when Jesus ascends into heaven, all of those limitations kind of fall off right? He exists as God exists to the world, omnipresent, always present in all things. He's not limited. He is outside of time. Uh, He is um, experiencing and, and interacting with all of time in one moment. And what that means, even though it's hard to understand, is that his life and his and his death and his resurrection now aren't limited to what they did in one moment, but, but now apply to all people in all times and at all places. Jesus brings it home, right? He, who, who he was as our shepherd, all the ways that, that Jesus relates to us as our king, as our shepherd, as our mediator, as our intercessor, as our savior, that is enabled right here, right now, uh, an event, in a, a, a person who existed 2,000 years ago because Jesus ascends into heaven and, and now relates to all people at all times In all places. And you know, the the scriptures actually really do point to this and kind of guide us to understand that there was an essential aspect to what Jesus did when he ascended into heaven. One example of this comes from John chapter 20. It's a story of, the first story of the resurrection. Two Marys go to Jesus' tomb to to see, uh, to to actually mourn his death. And when they get there, the stone is rolled away, his body is missing, and they, they are concerned. They're overwhelmed. They're in mourning because they don't know what's happened. And so one of the Marys, probably Mary Magdalene, standing outside of the tomb crying. And a man comes to her and says, woman, why are you crying? And she responds, they've taken away the body of my Lord. And, um... And then uh, he, th- this, this man says her name, Mary, and it's Jesus. And she immediately recognizes that when, when she s- hears him say her name. And she goes over to him immediately, overwhelmed, overjoyed, Uh, trying to take it all in and embraces Jesus and hugs him. And and this is just like an image of a beautiful reunion of this woman who thought her Savior and Lord had had died and was never coming back and is now standing before her alive. She's holding him with all the strength that she has, right? But here's here's the really interesting thing about that passage. You know the next thing that is recorded that Jesus says to her? It's this, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. What a, what a rude thing for Jesus to say. Like, he, you, she, she just found you alive, right? You were dead, man. You know, have some grace for this lady. Uh, but, but what that means is, what the text is trying to communicate is, whatever Jesus said right there was really, really important. He knew that he still had work to do. And as good as it was for Mary to cling to, to, to him, she was going to have to let him go. Right? But that was good news because it wasn't the loss of his presence. It was going to be the magnification of his presence. When she let go of Jesus, she was going to gain him forever. And when we let go of Jesus and his presence on earth, all of us gained him forever in, in, in a changed relationship with us. And this is the deeper, the most critical meaning of the ascension that, that I really want to get into um, is that it's, it's about a, a changed relationship that we have with God. And, and, and just to kind of point this out, um, we actually use Ascension to, to uh, talk about a change of relationship on a larger level. This is something that we already do. And just to, to prove that, think about the British royal family. Okay, folks know who those people are, right? Uh, any, any royal family nuts in here? No, nobody's willing to admit it. I know you're out there. Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, that lady on the bottom right in the pink is Queen Elizabeth, right? And um, there is some news that we're going to get in a few years, and it's going to be sad, but it's going to be significant, that Queen Elizabeth has passed away. And when she does, she, the reigning queen, is going to be seceded by an heir. There's going to be an heir to the throne And I didn't know who the heir is, but uh, I found out last last, uh, service. Does anybody know who the heir is? Charles. I knew there was nuts out there. You guys are busted. All right. Uh, uh, Charles is going to, uh, what do we say when a new heir comes to the throne? We say they ascend to the throne. And, And theoretically, like, I guess there's a throne somewhere in England, right? There's a place where you could go sit down, like, there's like thrones that kings and queens used to sit on. There's a game of thrones, right? Is there, is there thrones in that show? I've not seen it. My guess is yes. Um, but, uh, but, but here's the thing. We don't even know if there's a throne because what, what we actually know that term ascended to the throne means, it, it indicates a change of relationship, right? That this person now, Charles, is going to sit down on the throne and have a new relationship with the entirety of the British nation. He's going to be king... Or I guess pseudo-king, because the royalty doesn't really matter. But, um, but that leads me really to the, the aspect of Jesus' ascension that, I, that, that is probably one of the most important that, that we need to understand. Uh, it's that when Jesus ascends into heaven, his relationship changes with us, and he sits down as rightful king and lord of the entire world. So when Jesus ascends into heaven, he is now seated as, as the Lord and the King of, of the whole world. And this really gets into the other half of the phrase uh, in the Apostles' Creed that I haven't touched yet. Because it isn't just, uh, we be- I believe uh, in Jesus Christ, uh, that, he ascended, that he ascended into heaven, but that he ascended into heaven and sits down at the right hand of God the Father. And some of you want to add Almighty to the end of that, and that's fine. I'm okay with that, right? Uh, what, what does that mean? Well, um, being seated at the right hand uh, was an ancient way to talk about a person being highly honored or sharing authority with, with someone else. And where the origin of this may have come from, uh, I wasn't able to figure it out, but this is one of the sources that I saw, is that um, when ancient kings would go to war, they would, in one hand, have a, a shield, a large shield to protect themselves. And in the other hand, on their left side, if they're right-handed, they would, they would have a sword or a mace or something. And so they were well protected on this left side, but on the right side, they were vulnerable because this is where they had their weapon. And so what they would do is they would put their strongest, most trusted warrior on their right side. And they would say, this is the person that I'm entrusting with my life. I, I give this person uh, this place uh, this authority. And oftentimes in war, if anything happened to this person, it was this person who would step right in. It was, was a sign of shared authority. That was the most honored position and they became to be known later in, in a lot of cultures, actually. We don't do this much in America, but that right hand was the place you wanted to be, right? It was the extension of the rule and reign of the king. And so uh, what the creed is saying when Jesus sits down at God's right hand is that Jesus sits down and shares God's authority. He is now king, ruling and reigning, and he has been entrusted with with the rule of the entire world um, as God's son, that he is going to be king and lord, and he is sovereign over the things that happen And actually, the scripture itself makes this connection between Jesus' authority and the ascension. And just to give you a couple of examples of that, 1 Peter 3.2.2 says, Now that he has gone into heaven, he is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. Do you see the link there? Because he has gone into heaven. Now that he has gone into heaven, he assumes this place of authority. Here's another example in the book of Ephesians. Uh, chapter 1, 20 through 21. When he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at, the, at, at his right hand in the heavenly realms, f- he seated him far above rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Why is Jesus' name above every other name? Why is it the most powerful? Because he sat down at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He is King, and he is Lord, and that is true even today. And you know, when I think about uh, where this really practically hits for us, and you know, a lot of this creed has been abstract, like you're learning a lot, it's theological concepts, it's hard to see exactly how it, how it makes sense and applies to our life here and now. This is one of the places in, in this line that I think is, is really important to know. Do you know that right now Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and ruling and reigning as, as Lord and sovereign over this world? That is an incredible place of confidence for us. It can anchor our souls. You know, one of the things that that comes to my mind here, uh, just knowing that there is the right king in the right place, is actually, uh, my mind tracks back to September 11th. And and this horrible thing that happened in our nation, right? When we saw uh, so many people die and buildings go down and our national security at risk and people were worried about what was going to happen and what had happened, and 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 you know, um, shortly after that, uh, the president came on, and and assured everybody, sat down in his place as president, and assured everybody that it was going to be okay, that we were going to deal with this, that we were going to respond, and it was this. This thing that even if you didn't like the president, you felt good that there was somebody in that seat who had things under control. That knew what they were going to do and step forward and and do on our behalf. And and, and think, so so think that was helpful then. Think how much more helpful it is to know that we have somebody much better than any president of the United States. Whose heart is, is full of love. Who overcomes the hatred of this world with the cross. Who dies on the cross for our sins and is going to to work towards the redemption of all things in the way that Jesus as sovereign rules and reigns in the world, right? That is an anchor for my soul. When I see craziness on the news, when I think about all of these out-of-control world leaders, there is a leader, a name above every other name that is so much better and stronger and sits down as king and will one day come again um, to judge the living, And the dead. Amen. That's another part of the creed. Moving ahead of myself here. All right. But um, I want to move to really the last piece of the creed. And I'll just finish up here. When Jesus ascends into heaven, one of the things that happens is he then sends the Holy Spirit and the church on mission. Right? That's an important chronological piece in, in the biblical narrative. Jesus goes into heaven, he sits down on the throne. And what was the thing, if you remember in our passage from Acts? that he told the disciples to do right before he ascended. He said, I want you to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit, right? One of the reasons he tells Mary that he needs to go and it's good for him to go is because soon he is going to send the Spirit. He says that actually with, with the disciples in the last night in the upper room. And this is good. It's going to be means God's presence is going to be active and at work with everybody. And then also in that same passage in Acts, before he ascends, do you remember what the other thing is that he said? He said, and I'm going to send you... Uh to, to, to into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right? His ascension is the thing that gets into place that then sends the church out on mission. Right? So the Spirit comes, the church is sent out on mission, and that is all done under the fact that Jesus sits on the throne and he is ruling and reigning. And um, I just thought that that was really cool. (laughs) And and next week when we get to, uh, we're going to look at one holy Catholic lowercase c church. Uh, It's under the heading of the Holy Spirit. This is how this works. We, We, when you say in the Apostles Creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified dead and buried. He descended to the dead. He rose again on the third day and ascended into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty from whence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. What happens right next after he's ascended into heaven? I believe in the Holy Spirit, right? And I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, right? So there's that link, and, uh, and it's really important, and it's enabled because Jesus is on the throne, all right? We got it, understand it. Jesus Jose Christos hits a grand slam in the ascension. If you remember one thing, <laughs> go with that, all right? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, for this chance to open up your word and to think theologically and to understand why your ascension mattered, to see how you bring everything home, to know that you are at work in this world right here and right now, that you are fully alive at God's right hand, and, and that you you have sent us into the world to share in the mission that you have in redemption, that we get to be servants of the King who is ruling and reigning and will come again. And I just pray that something today would anchor itself in our hearts and our minds and, and just move us to trust and love you more with the confidence that you are our ruling and reigning king. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.